Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. A couple of weeks ago, I had the great blessing to visit with Mark and Margaret Franklin about their son, Ryan, and I'd like to share their story with you today. It's actually kind of funny how we met. You may know that we host a large closed Facebook group for bereaved parents, and I've posted the link to that group in the show notes. It was probably about three years ago that Margaret requested to join it. As group moderator, I always spend a little time vetting people who ask to join our group just to make sure they are indeed bereaved parents and not spammers or curiosity seekers. When I clicked on Margaret's profile, I discovered that we had a mutual friend named Art Captain. Art just happens to be my uncle. After I got Margaret added to our group, I sent her a private message and said, Hey, I see that Art Captain is our mutual friend. I'm just curious how you know him because he's my uncle Art. It turns out that they were lifelong friends and their kids had grown up together. Once I had the opportunity to meet the Franklins when they came to our While We're Waiting weekend in December of 2016, we became lifelong friends as well, and I am thrilled to share our conversation with you today. Hi, Mark and Margaret. I'm so glad to have you guys join me today. I've been looking forward to visiting with y'all all week long. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. Yes, it is. Yes, thank you. It's always always great to talk to you guys. So I wanted to get started by just letting you guys share a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and, and what you do there. Okay, well, we are in uh, Oregon now, and I've been there about six years. Uh, I pastor a church in a little community called uh, Benita, it's west of Eugene. And I've been there in that church about a year and a half, um, just loving on the people and doing some admin kind of things, leading worship. Um, and that's that's pretty much where we are. We're about six minutes from our third son, mm, nice. uh, about an hour and a half from our second son, which is cool, and the grandkids. And uh, going to have another grandkid in April, so it's exciting yeah. to us to be that close. So that's my story. <laughs> yep. And uh, I'm a nurse practitioner, work in urgent care in Eugene. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you all. Now, um, tell us a little bit about how you all met um, and how long you've been married. Just a little bit about your, your relationship. Mark always gets nervous when that gets brought up because he doesn't know if I'm going to tell the short story <laughs> or the long story. Short story is... I had moved to California where he was from and was going to the same church that he was choir director at. And we got married 10 months later and that's the short story. And that was, (laughs) and that was 41 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The longer story involves uh, things like he stood me up at our first date Uh and uh, different things like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I guess see why he kind of wants and, to avoid that story then. Yeah. And yeah. how, when he asked well, me to marry him, I changed the subject and, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but it's, it's worked for you for 41 years. So I, I, yeah, I, we're good. I think it's going to last. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Well, yeah. We leave out, we leave out the disco, disco dancing lessons <laughs> and those kinds of things. It was the seventies. Yes. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. 
Um, so how long after you were married did the kids begin to come along? Well, we had moved from California to Oregon the first time in Oregon. We were here for 13 years, and we'd been married a couple of years, and we had Ryan. And then a couple of years later, um, I was pregnant with identical twins and didn't carry them long enough for them to live. When Ryan was three and a half, we had Kevin. And then two years later, we had Aaron. So um, we had three boys and felt very blessed to have all three of them. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about Ryan in particular. What kind of things did he enjoy? What did he, a little bit about his personality? Just tell me, tell me everything you can about Ryan. Ryan enjoyed being his own person. He didn't, I'm not sure he ever fit in a box or, or, or nobody would uh, squeeze him in that way. So when when he died and we saw his, he was a Christian school teacher before he was a fireman. And after he died, the um, principal came to us and said, I will never forget our interview with your son. Um, she said, she said, the thing that struck me the most was uh, he enjoyed getting up in the morning and being himself. Mm-hmm. Nobody, he just enjoyed that yeah. it was part of his uh, character. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't fit the dress code of anything. Uh, he wore cut off everything wherever he could. And his, um, his belt was a shoestring always didn't matter his suit. I mean, he, he, when he looked good, he dressed well, or when he dressed down, he wore a shoestring. Yeah. He said there was always always one handy. And it was always just the right size. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much easier than oh, sports, yeah. sports shoes. So Ryan was an athlete. Every every sport he did, he did well. It, it just was a natural fit for him. Um, we he, he couldn't play football. We wouldn't let him play football because he didn't eat vegetables. That was the – and he never did. He never got over that part. So he went swimming. Oh, became a swimmer. Sure. And he also played basketball and baseball and everything else. But I expected him to play football. He wanted to play football and he had never eaten vegetables. He just wouldn't. He was like, yeah, a vegetarian who wouldn't eat vegetables because, yeah, he didn't like meat either. So anyway, um, this kid was raised on ramen noodles. Mm. I thought when he asked to play basketball or football, I was fully expecting. I said, that's great, but you really need to be strong to do that. So you're going to need to eat vegetables. And that was the last time he ever brought it up. <laughs> went to, he went to school the first day and came home and said, I'm going to be on the swim team. We of had, high school. At yeah. high school. We never swam. We never did that kind of, you know, as, as a family. Right. So he swam about a day in the beginner's lane and the coach moved him up to the advanced lane and he stayed there. Uh, he lettered as a swimming as a swimmer, four years, and, and it was great. Um, that's, so everything he did, he did well. And, and then when uh, we were walking through the firehouse with his buddies after he was after he was gone, they said, we, we just marveled at his strength, his agility, his, they all, they all described his uh, fitness test 
when he had to come out and run two miles or whatever it was. Here's a guy in his oversized cutoff sweats, sneakers, probably no socks, um, and he and he always wore big aviator sunglasses. I mean, they're just part of his character, and and these guys just kept kept, and he never stopped. He just he he could he could just do what he did and without any issue. And when he, you know, when he worked at the golf course, he just became a better golfer because he's a natural athlete. Wow. Then another one, another thing about Ryan is that one of his good friends, uh, when he died said to us, I always thought I was Ryan's best friend. And, and then I realized Ryan didn't have best friends. Everybody was his best friend. Um, and the fire guys talked about it. It's, you know, everybody talked about it that way. And then he was a, he was a coach which basketball um, in the high school level and the college level. And everybody just loved playing for him uh, in the, in the game. Now they do a Memorial game every year and the kids that he coached his first year in Idaho as freshmen still come back to that game because they just love Franklin so much. Mm. It's pretty cool. He, he was a kid with integrity, too, even as a high schooler. One of his buddies um, hurt his shoulder, and so he became the stat guy because he wasn't allowed to play. And it was, I think, last home game or something, and our team was ahead by so far. And the coach looked up in the stands to ask the parents if he could put Freddie in. And they were like, well, I mean, what could go wrong? You know, it's not good anyway. It might get wrecked more, but whatever. So he got in, but nobody's worried about him. He wasn't that great a player. But Ryan said to him, you get to your sweet spot Mm -hmm. because Freddie would come over. Anybody that came over, they would shoot hoops together. And Ryan knew he had a sweet spot. So Freddie got there and one guy started to guard him and quit because he wasn't even in the play. I mean, and he didn't know what he's doing. He's a stat keeper. So um, it was, you know, out of bounds and it was their ball. And so they th- they threw it in and Ryan intercepted and they're all on Ryan. And he even got farther away from Freddie. So they were all on him and it was the very end of the game. And he got that ball thrown over to Freddie who from the three point line, which was his sweet spot in the corner made a basket. His first one of the season, his last one of the season, because his last home game, the crowds went wild. They all, you know, mobbed Freddie and Ryan stayed silent, mm-hmm. and yet he was the one that had made it happen, and, and that's the kind of kid he was. Yeah. yeah. And in that way, too, he was a, a good brother mm-hmm. to his um, siblings after he moved out, and then because he was such a good athlete, you know, his brothers didn't quite uh, match up, to, and he wrote um, Kevin once and said, you be you. You don't have to try to be me. We're different. That's okay. You're really good at what you do. And just encouraged him. And it was really great. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. That's a great brother right there. Mm-hmm. So Ryan grew up and married and had a family of his own, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. In six years' time, all three of our boys started having children. And we got eight grandchildren in six years. And four of those were his and Amy's. They had three girls and then a little boy named Seth. 
And that name is important, and that'll come up later. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in, a little, in just a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. so talk about what happened to Ryan in the spring of 2016. Well, we, had, we have often gone to Haiti to serve an emissions team there. And, and uh, so we had gone on Monday, flown to Miami, two flew to Tuesday, flew to Haiti, unpacked our stuff, spent the night. And about two o'clock Wednesday, Amy, uh, our daughter-in-law called to say Ryan was killed that day. Mm. And so there we were as far away as we could be. Um, and and we, we look back and say it was a blessing. The Haitians, the Haitians know how to mourn, they know how to grieve, and they know how to comfort. Totally different than we do. And um, so the whole first, that, that night when all you want to do is leave, get home, you can't. Uh, the Haitians came one by one, hugged us, prayed for us, loved on us. Um, then Thursday we, we flew home. The mission had already arranged our seats to get home before, even before we knew they knew before we did. Oh, wow. So they just because of communication stuff, you know, you can't uh, Amy, Amy and Ryan's house is out of town. And so uh, reception is, is sketchy. And Amy had requested that she tell us. So they already knew they called us in and then had to call her to let us know. Wow. So I do some, you know, some juggling. And so anyway, Thursday we came home. I'd say it's probably the longest day of flying I'm out of Haiti at, at eight o'clock when the first flight leaves and then uh, to Miami, mm-hmm. then to Charlotte and from Charlotte back to Portland. So it was a long day of, the, of you can't do anything. Every, every airport we stopped at, we called people, you know, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of first, you know, over and over telling the story yeah. and, and, and not really, not really knowing the story. Mm-hmm. All we knew was our son was killed the day before, you know, and so there were two days ago. So, so it's not a lot you can tell cause you don't know any details. Right. So we, we were met at uh, Portland airport by our other kids and grandkids and it, it worked out that uh, Aaron, our youngest son, had a motel room in Portland. Uh, he's a high school coach, and it was playoffs, and so they were in Portland. So he had a room, so we went to the motel and had some good cries and some good time together, did some worship together just to to remind us that, you know, God's still in control and still faithful, and, and that was good. And then... Uh, Friday morning, we, we went back to our house, which was maybe an hour from Portland. Uh, and, then we, and then Friday morning, jumped in the car early, and we drove straight to Idaho mm-hmm. to be with Amy. Which takes about 10 hours. It's about 10 hours. And, and then we got the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we could hear it. Uh, Saturday, you know, it was the, the mortuary and the funeral plans and all of that. And then go to the crash site two or three times, you know, check it out. The crash site is still there. It's all memorial kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what happened was he was training for a triathlon <coughs> and 
Lawrence. It was his day <clears throat> off. And so he said to Amy, let me get this over with, and then we can hang up. Mm-hmm. And so he left to go biking. And that phrase Amy held on to for a long time in her grief. She didn't want to be around. She didn't want to do anything. And she said, you know, what Ryan said, well, let me get this over with. Mm-hmm. And then we can hang out. And so he wasn't that far from their house and um, a driver hit and killed him and then took off. And so he was left there best anybody can tell for about 45 minutes Mm -hmm. before somebody came on the scene and saw the wreckage of the bike and the helmet and everything else. We got there Saturday. It happened Wednesday and we still it, it was then declared a crime scene and everything. They picked up all the evidence. We still found pieces, a spoke of the bike, a, a splinter of the helmet, things laying around because there were just so many pieces. Um, but they found the lady and um, she came back to the site and, you know, the whole thing. And later um, served 80 days as because of the hit and run, mm-hmm. they charged that the actual hitting him was a misdemeanor because it wasn't intentional. But leaving the scene was the felony. Sure. And that's what she got charged with. You know, you mentioned that there's a memorial. Yeah. Um, I know that was prepared by other people, maybe some of his, his friends. Um, the biking, the biking community. Yes. And it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a bicycle. Um, and it's, I guess it's in front of a pole of some sort. And on right. the pole, there are two letters G K. Um, what, yeah. what does the G K stand for? He coached with somebody at lighthouse Christian in twin falls and they would discuss, uh, team players and this and that text back and forth. And sometimes you, you just can't figure out what's going on with a kid or why he's acting the way he is. And they would end their text with GK and it stood for God knows. Mm-hmm. And so after that site was made, that guy he had coached with came and put those letters on the pole that the bike is attached to God knows. Yeah. I know that, um, Margaret, you were born in the Netherlands and grew up in a very Dutch family. And there is a Dutch word that has come to mean a lot to you. Um, what is that word and, and what does it mean? Growing up, um, my first language was half and half because that's what was spoken at home. And so I'm fluent in both Dutch and English. And um, different words would get used for different things. And if you were headed out the door, for a tough assignment, a tough test, a tough interview, something like that. Um, as you left, what would get said to you was sterkte. And sterkte means strength. But in that setting, it was always couched in uh, with the implication that it was God's strength. May God's strength be with you. And so instead of saying all that, just as you left, sterkte. And it would just remind us, okay, yes, we need to be strong. It's going to be a difficult situation perhaps, but with God's strength, we can get through it. And so it was actually Melanie DeSimone who then I ended up sharing that with her because she had something difficult going on. And in the whole area of child loss, sometimes 
there's just nothing to say mm-hmm. other than sterkta because you can't get through it without God's strength. And so, you know, when you're faced with an anniversary date coming up again or the myriad of things that are difficult, what can get you through is sterkta, not your own strength, but God's strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a beautiful reminder that we can't do this in our own strength, can we? We need to lean on the Lord. Um, What are some scriptures that have been meaningful to you that have helped you find your sterkta? Well, I'll go first because I don't want Mark to steal it because I don't (laughs) know what he's going to say. But for me, Lamentations 3.23, which is the greatest thy faithfulness, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And that has come to be so much more special to me because the night that Mark referred to that we met our other sons in Portland coming back from Haiti and we're at the motel, we sang that song as a family. Um, Our daughter-in-law who leads worship at her church had her guitar and and just started leading out with greatest thy faithfulness. We didn't sing it well. It was very broken and Mm -hmm. through tears. And yet, we were, you know, placing a stake as a family of we were going to continue to rely on the only thing that was going to get us through. And so I always liked the song before. I always liked the verse before, but it means so much more to me now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What about you, Mark? I think I'm much more aware of the Romans 8 passages, um, the whole goodness of God. Thing um, when when one of those phone calls from the one of the airports on the way home, a pastor who I I love dearly and have served with for eight years, and we're still very close friends. Um, Thirty five years later, uh, he quoted the Romans eight twenty eight: "All things work together for good." And I I just kind of got angry at him because I. I thought there, there isn't any good. We're not going to, you know, we're, show me the good here. Cause I couldn't see it, couldn't feel it, didn't, right. didn't recognize it. And then I, and then I just was reading more of the passage and realized it's not, it's not for my good. We, we take it as it's our good, but it's really not our good. It's God's good. Mm-hmm. All things work together for God's good, you know, and the goodness of God. So the goodness of God has become a bigger, has a bigger play for me now. And, and we look at it and say, well, yeah, we, we'd like to have our son still. That would be good to us. Um, but out of that, uh, in the week right after he died, one of the firefighters accepted Christ as a savior. Uh, one of Ryan's best friends from sixth grade on. Um, the same thing. Uh, about Ryan died in May. About October, we got a an email that said that uh, Ryan's friend TJ had been ba- had, had accepted Christ and been baptized. It's like really, so you know we ha- we just ask what did what did Ryan have to do with that? Mm-hmm. And and TJ said Ryan had everything to do with it because that's how he lived, and I wanted to be like that. I mean, it, so there's great good in it. Yeah, it's just we didn't we didn't see it at the moment, and and you know one of your one of your questions maybe to come is the things that we say that are hard to accept or the things that we hear in in our grief. And, and that was one for me. It was just hard to accept for a while. Mm-hmm. 
It's the good, but there is good. Right. There is good. Yeah. We know Romans 8, 28 is true. It's truth. But yeah. Yeah. a grieving parent does not necessarily want to hear that particular scripture <laughs> right no. at the beginning. But, you no. you know, you're right. There is good that, that comes from it. And it's not necessarily yeah. our good, but it's the good for God's kingdom. And you've right. seen that illustrated so clearly in yeah. uh, your experience with Ryan. Yeah. So the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly. Um, how have you experienced or how do you feel like Ryan's homegoing has changed you? I think I've had to realize how there's nothing I have done in life that I've done on my own. It seemed like I would bring the big things to God. And this was the biggest thing ever, ever. And in coming to him and him being there and in answering, I realized it wasn't just that big thing that I needed him for. Um, And it wasn't that I hadn't completely put my faith and trust in him. It was just that I thought I could handle the little stuff. I'm pretty competent, pretty confident. And I didn't always need his help, I thought. I mean, I never even, that wasn't conscious, and yet I didn't go to him with all the little things, just when I'd get stuck. And so it's been a good thing to, I guess, acknowledge that I need him for everything, and it's okay to go to him for everything and about everything. And anything that I ever thought I did on my own, I was just being silly, really, because... um Without him, it couldn't have happened. And so it has changed me in that realization of who he is and what he does in my life and that he's there every step of the way, whether I acknowledged it or not. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mark? I think it it changes. It's changed my perspective of eternity. Mm -hmm. It's changed my perspective of heaven. Yeah, I want to go be with Jesus as well. All, all of our parents are there, you know, and, and but now my our son is there. That's different. It just changed. It changes the reality of that much, much more so to me. So there's a there's a. It's easier to talk about expectation. You know, it's just a. It's more of a, I'm ready to let's go now. Yeah. You know, which, which, on the other side is. You know, there's an element of, of let's just go, which almost seems like escape because there's still life here. There's still things to do here. Right. There's still kids to love here and grandkids to love here. Mm-hmm. So, so that, but just the awareness of heaven, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's greater. So how has the loss of Ryan affected you as a pastor? Has it made a difference in how you um, pastor your flock? It it makes me not want to do any funerals, <laughs> you know. Before that, I mean, I, I I struggled even with my own mom, with my mom's getting closer to death. You know, it's sure. like every other. The next funeral was always going to be hers. Um, but on the other side, I think it it is it has opened up avenues of communication that have, are different, you know. 
my heart is different towards the people because I can, I can now minister to them to say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody, even if it's, even if it's not a, a child loss, but a, just a family member, um, it's, it's easier to say, I, I get it. My heart understands more. Um, so from that side, it's, it, you know, becomes more real. It's more, more empathetic with them, I think. Um, but I, 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 I also have not had a, had a struggle bringing it up, talking about it, you know, because we went to a new church where we are now is not where we were when, when Ryan was killed. So it was like, in some ways, it was first tells all over again. You know, you'd meet people and greet people, and and, and you know, the, one of the questions on your thing is, how many children do you have? Yes, I I still have three sons, right? And that and, and I keep it. I, I mean, that's my answer. I have three sons. Um, not every situation says I have to elaborate. One's in heaven. Not every group I'm in or conversation we're in needs to know that that stuff. Right. But I, I, uh, Ryan's, Ryan's death has, has reshaped the way I think about life and ministry and people in a lot of ways. Absolutely. It's been almost five years now since Ryan went to heaven. Um, but think back if you can to the early days of your grief, um, what advice might you give to someone who has just recently lost their child? Well, for myself, I was shocked at how intense it was. I had kind of been a non-crier, and I cried every day for a year. I still worked. I somehow was able to still do my job. I would hit the outside of the office door sometimes and start crying before I even got to the car, mm -hmm. not realizing I'd been holding it in, and it was just there. And at four months... I don't know. I thought I should have been better. And I wasn't. And I wondered what was wrong with me because it still hurt so badly. And I just had no clue. I had no clue how badly it would still hurt at a year and at two years. And gradually it becomes softer, but that takes a long time. And it can't happen without the grief coming out. Mm -hmm. I think there are people that stuff it. And so they seem better sooner, but down the road, they're not. And I think I'm glad I wasn't able to stuff it. I might have tried, but I just was, wasn't good at that. And so I cried and I cried and I cried and I wondered what was wrong with me and cried some more. And I wish I'd have known, but I don't know how I could have known that that was normal. Right, right. I remember when you guys registered to come to our retreat. And um, we had waiting lists at that time. And um, I don't remember exactly how long out it was. It was eight or 10 months, maybe a year before you all were going to get to come. And you told me later that when I told you it's going to be, you know, eight or 10 months, that you thought to yourself, oh, well, I probably won't even need it anymore by then. And um yeah, I, I think all of us are surprised at how um, how long the grief lasts. That um, that it's really a lifetime of grief, but it's not at the same level all your life. Um, 
And I was, I'm, I'm just always reminded of that, how you were surprised that you would still need to come to something like that after so much time had passed. Yeah. And as it turned out, an opening mm-hmm. came up and because when you had said a year, it's like, <laughs> but we'll be fine by then. Why would we go to a grief retreat? Instead, an opening came at seven months, I think about, because it was May to December. And hindsight, it was too soon. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really could take in everything that was offered because I went with the mindset of, this is still horrible and these people will know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have any magic words and you didn't have any wonderful advice of do this and then you'll be fine. I was still looking for that because I didn't realize, no, this isn't going to go away. And there's no magic way to make it go away other than to grieve. Right. Not that that makes it go away, but it helps you get down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you come to a retreat, we can't fix you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we can provide um, just some encouragement and support and, and just that that knowledge that you're not alone, that other people are grieving as well. Um, there was something that you wrote one time. Um, Margaret and I are, are close Facebook friends um, and personal friends, but, you know, we keep in touch on Facebook. And she wrote something in a comment one time, and, and I just want to read it because I want you to comment on it, Margaret. Um, you were talking about early grief. And you said, I held it in front of me and it caused me to stumble, bring me to my knees and obstruct my view. Now it's more like the baby on the hip, smaller, allowing me to do many things, but not as easily as if I had both hands. Maybe, maybe someday it will be like a backpack and I will be able to do even more. Yes, I can imagine that. Talk about what you what you meant when you wrote all of that. Well, at first, it really is all that's in your life, and and it does cause you to stumble, and it's just in front of your face, no matter what you're trying to do, and it affects everything you're doing. And I think by the time I wrote that, I felt like it was more like a baby on the hip, still a big distraction, still one hand unusable, still all of those things, but you can do so much more. And I think as grief softens is the term I use with time and with the grieving that's allowed that it uh, gets a little easier to deal with. And I don't know when I wrote that, but I think it was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I think I could say it is the backpack now when I have both hands and I can do most things, but it'll shift and it'll sometimes still be on my hip. And sometimes on those hard, hard days, it still is right in front of me and my hands are full with it and there's nothing else I can do because of it. But it has become easier and yet it's still always present. Mm-hmm. What about you? What advice would you give to someone who's early in their grief? You can't isolate. You can't go into hibernation and say, uh, and shut the world out. The people don't know what to do. I mean, when Ryan was killed, because we left immediately. We, you know, I mean, we got home and then we left on Friday and we're gone for a whole week. 
because we stayed gone until the memorial service the next week. And, and so we had, we had breakfast with our pastor and his wife before we left, and then we were gone. So the people couldn't respond, didn't know what, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. One, one person, when we got back after the funeral, came to the door with a bowl of fruit. She said, I don't know what else to do, but I figured you're going to eat. So to recognize that it's a lonely, lonely place, grief is, because nobody knows what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to, they don't know what you need and really what you need. And, and our, our pastor even posted um, right after it happened that, that we've had this loss in our life. So let's give them their space and let's not bother them. It's like, really? I mean, we, we, we took that down. We asked him to, to take that down because yeah. we needed to be bothered. Sure. You know, we really needed people to knock on the door. So sometimes I think we just have to go look for it. We have to, we have to seek people out. I, I think one of the, the, the best pieces, at least looking at it from my perspective for Margaret is she found a great Christian counselor that she could talk through this stuff that she can't, she couldn't talk through that stuff with me, mm-hmm. I mean, it, which is, I mean, it's just normal. And it was good for her. It's healthy and it's still healthy. Um, so I, I think we have to seek, you have to go seek help. We went to another pastor one night early on. A guy that I, you know, had been with, prayed with and done pastor meetings with and stuff and, and very much respected. And, and so I called him and said, Hey, we, we need to just come and chat. Oh, come right on down. So, you know, we spent a couple of, and it was just helpful to us to have another perspective. Um, and so I, I think we have to be, be uh, cautioned about isolating, get out get and, and get out, but recognizing getting out, it's still awkward and it's still lonely because nobody else knows what you're feeling. I, I, I said to somebody just yesterday when they said, I can't imagine what it's like. I said, no, you can't. So don't try because it'll frustrate you at all. You just, it's, it's, it's just not the way it is. You can't, you can't figure it out. Right. So this, this, go get, go get, go surround yourself with people, do things. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Good advice. You mentioned that you've been married for 41 years. So how have and a half and a half 41 and a half hey, let's make sure we count every bit of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's right. How have you all managed the grieving process as husband and wife? Um, you know, a lot of times there's a difference in the way men and women grieve. So how have y'all grieved maybe separately and maybe together? You kind of alluded to it a little bit already, Mark, with the counselor. But but how else have you managed to uh, keep your marriage strong as you've grieved? I think a big thing in our relationship in general, but grief specifically, is that we have a lot of grace. There were times where I was sobbing and Mark didn't know what to do, but he let me cry. One night, I remember specifically, I couldn't handle my own tears. I wasn't used to crying all the time, and we were laying in bed, and I I just started crying. And I said, I don't even know why. And he said, well, I think... I think it's because Ryan's dead. It's like, oh, that's such a male answer of, yeah, I knew that part. But what he said next just ministered so to me. He said, 
if you cry every day for the rest of your life, I will still love you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I needed to hear that because I was feeling unlovable mm-hmm. and frustrated with myself. And then there were times where I think we haven't discussed this, but I think Mark could admit where instead of grieving as far as tears, um, he got crabby. Mm-hmm. And rather than what's wrong with you and why are you crabby, I chalked it up to grief and I allowed it. And so grace given both ways. And I feel like also grief often magnifies what you already have. And we were friends already. And so we've become better friends. Even the day in Haiti, um, we were walking from the house where we'd been told And we had to go get our laundry because we were flying out and we walked over there and I didn't even realize it, but a friend of ours saw us and much, much later, like a couple years later, she said, I saw you guys walking right after you'd heard and you were hand in hand Mm -hmm. and I knew you would make it. And I think that's been the best thing, even though it's different, we've done it together. Mm I love how you said you were friends already. <laughs> that makes that makes a difference when you've got that foundation to build on, for sure. Uh, so Ryan's widow has just recently remarried. Uh, talk about what that experience has been like. Well, I'll let Mark add, but from the beginning, from day one, literally, I began to pray, Lord, bring someone alongside that can love the five of them. Mm-hmm. Because there are four little kids, six and under, And my heart was broken because my son was gone, but also that these four little grandkids of ours didn't have their daddy and that our daughter-in-law didn't have her husband. And and all all I could do was go to God. And and that was the only way I could see they needed to be loved. And as we heard more stories of, especially the son, when the woman would get remarried, his parents might not be included. And Mark said, you need to change your prayer. It's like, you know, what are you talking about? I'm praying for somebody to come love the five of them. What's wrong with that? Nope. Needs to be the seven of us. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. So can you bring someone to love the seven of us? Because we certainly weren't willing to give up the four grandchildren. And Amy had assured us early on, she would never do that to the children. She said, they love you so much, and they've had enough loss in their life, and I will never push you away. And she's been amazing. But as I prayed, it was maybe a year in, year and a half in, the prayer got much more specific because I saw someone that would fit the bill. Mm -hmm. And this someone was Ryan's best friend, and his name was Seth. And they were such good friends that Ryan had named his son Seth, not by accident, but because they were so close. Seth had never been married. He was a youth pastor at um, the church where he was from. And he worked with delinquent youth um, for the state on the weekends. And he was also a caregiver for his brother-in-law, who was a uh, quadriplegic. I thought, you know, can you have a better resume to watch my grandkids? (laughs) (laughs) youth pastor, quadriplegic care, Uh delinquent youth, all of that. But Amy saw Seth 
as such a good friend, she could not imagine anything romantic happening. He was he was like a brother. Sure. Yeah. You know, they're they're all college buddies together. Yeah. That's yeah. That's where they met. And the kids knew him from their day zero because he was Uncle Seth, is what they called him. Yeah. And he loved him because they interacted a lot. He was Ryan's best friend. And so he was always around. And I decided Seth was the one. Well, at some point, Amy, very in her frustration and everything else, said, people say I should get remarried. And that's just stupid because I wouldn't do that unless the kids were grown anyway and they're still babies. And besides, who would I marry? And she started rattling off these potentials. And there's so-and-so, but that wouldn't work because. And there's so-and-so, but that wouldn't work because. And she had her whole list. And she ended with Seth. And she said, it'd be nice if I liked him. She loved him, but the thought of being romantically involved, well, God answers prayer. And uh, one night, and we've been texting back and forth, which we did a lot, and we're joking about something. And then Amy said, I have something really serious to ask you. And it's okay. She said, what you answer and what you say is very important to me. Okay. What would you think? If Seth and I started dating, she hadn't dated anyone and um, she'd been friends with different people that others thought, well, maybe that'll become something, but it hadn't. And I read that and and I did manage to text. I'm already crying Mm -hmm. because it was such an answer to prayer and she didn't think it could happen because they were such good friends. But what a wonderful foundation and what a wonderful basis. And so God worked out the rest and um, she began to love him in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then they told the kids that they weren't allowed to call him Uncle Seth anymore because that was just weird because mommy was going to marry Uncle Seth. (laughs) So. He became big Seth and there's little Seth and they did marry with our full blessing. And the only thing that could be better for him as a husband or as a father is a godly man. He leads those children in prayer. He loves Amy, all of those things. The only thing I could come up with is that he's not Ryan. Mm -hmm. So of course that would have been our choice, but that is not any longer. And Seth is a wonderful man. So wonderful. I said to him even, I I don't know what to call you. My daughter-in-law's husband? I mean, there's there's no term for that. What what do I call you? And he thought about it. It wasn't a flippant answer, but he came back and he said, I'm your Mm son-in-law. And we were together this past Father's Day and he went to Mark and said, happy Father's Day. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing guy doing a great job helping to raise our four grandchildren. Just what a beautiful picture of God's redemption in that situation, you know? Absolutely. Taking the years that the locusts have eaten and and just redeeming them and bringing something beautiful out of it. I love that. Great story. And that's wonderful for those kids, too. Mm -hmm. And and we were there for the wedding. Yeah. We were really the only non-family well, in the, in that his way, family. His family was all there. Right. He has he has uh, six siblings. Seven. Seven siblings from all over the country. Sure. So they were all there, and we, and just a couple other 
friends were all that were, you know, in attendance. So it wasn't easy. Yeah. Yeah, there were, it was hard. It was a hard day, but it, it was, it was great. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I can only imagine how bittersweet that day must have been. Yeah. Completely. Because it was really basically a family reunion for his family. Amy kind of did the wedding for his family. He'd never been married. She said, I did just yeah. done justice of the peace. Right. So it was in their backyard, Brian and Amy's backyard. And, um, it was all of his family, all his siblings, all the cousins, all the everything. And the night before, we had a wonderful worship time together and communion. But the focus was what an answer to prayer we prayed for so long for somebody, for Seth. Because mm-hmm. they were all married. And he's not the youngest of the eight. And here God has provided. And all I could sob back I didn't say it, but you're forgetting the price. Yeah. You're forgetting the price for this to happen. Yeah. And um, it was really, really hard. As much as we love him and approve of him, it was like the final piece Mm -hmm. of Ryan, the husband, Ryan, the daddy. We're never going to be there again. And it was hard. Right. Very hard and yet an answer to prayer at the same time, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And then someone that does love all seven of you, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very much. What a gift. Awesome. Yeah. He's totally different interest than Ryan. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, they played basketball together in college, did some coaching. But other than that, he's an outdoorsman. He's a hunter, a fisherman. You know, I mean, just does that outdoorsy thing rather than the athletic thing. Uh, competitive our, our con- yeah, competitive. Yeah. Our, our concept in our family was sports had a, involved a ball. Right. <laughs> uh, and so the first time when our kids were little, we took them to the sportsman's show. It was, it was awful. It was fishing equipment. It was guns. Nothing that our kids were interested in right. or that I was interested in. Right. We didn't stay very long. And Seth's all about that. You know, he, he went out and got his shot his own elk with his own bow and wow. and just that kind of stuff. It's just a different, um, they just grew up different. Right. But now, now Seth is the basketball coach where Ryan coached before. Oh my goodness. Wow. So, so he's followed, you know, he's, he's in that role. Mm-hmm. So that, that part is cool. Yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good things in that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's kind of close with one final question, and that is, what have you learned about God through this experience? That he's there. He's always there. In fact, I asked him specifically, where were you? Mm. You pray for protection for your kids. Amy prayed for protection for her husband. And then he gets hit and killed. Where was God? Not in a defiant way, but truly, where were you? Yeah. And I didn't have a vision. I didn't see. And yet in my mind's eye, he allowed me to to see, if you will, Ryan at the um, roadside. And Jesus there with him, taking his hands. Mm-hmm. He was there. Yeah. 
Amy had collapsed in the ditch screaming, but we have four babies. We have four babies. And later she said, I don't know why I thought that made a difference. But anyway, that's all she could scream. And, And in that scene, you know, where were you? I saw his hand on her back. Mm. He was there with her. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see him with us. And so I asked again, where were you? What about us? Where, where were you for us? And I didn't see him, but I saw him through those Haitians and through the missionaries that were there grieving with us and praying for us and, and literally circling us. And that's, you know, of all times he was there. At a time where you'd say he 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 just left. He didn't protect. He didn't guard. But yes, he did. And so I'm more aware of his presence in general because he is always there. He says he's he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's a nice Bible verse. But when you put it to practice and realize he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and I. I kind of brings to mind what it says on his memorial, the GK, God knows. Yeah. What about you, Mark? I think, I think it's that, it's that idea of when it doesn't make sense to us, life doesn't have to make sense to us. We think so. It's our mindset. It's the way we're raised. It's, it's what we expect around us. But We'd like it to. It, it's not up to us. Right. And, and that he's, He's still, and, and back to the you know the goodness of God. He's still got our best interests on his on his heart. He still he still carries us in the palm of his hand, mm-hmm. and, and nothing nothing can nothing can flick us out of there. Nothing can. You know, he's not going to turn his hand over, and we're going to fall out. Right. In the good times, the hard times, he's always he's always looking out, and it, you know it teaches us teaches us more about paying attention mm-hmm. to what he's, what he's doing, where he's going, where he's leading, how he's, how he's taking us from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And, and point B is going to be heaven. Yeah. And what do we do in the meantime? Yeah. How, how do we be faithful? We, we said to each other that first night in Haiti, I said, um, and I said to Margaret, you know, we know the statistics of couples who lose, lose children. And it's a it's a bigger number than most people even realize. I said we're not going to be that statistic. We're not going to raise that percentage. We're just going to be committed. God's going to walk us through, and we'll and we'll make it. We'll be okay, but not not by ourselves. His exact words were, "When you know this breaks marriages up," and what he said was, "Well, that would be stupid." (laughs) Probably. And, um, yeah, it would have been stupid. Yeah. Not that it was always easy and that we sailed through it and it's always been pleasant, mm-hmm. but it would have been stupid to, to throw out something so wonderful because of the stress. And there, too, we had to ask God, okay, draw us together. Draw us to yourselves. Draw us together. Hmm. Very good. I think that's a good way to close. Okay. <laughs> it's just remembering how we need to depend on him. And like you said, I think so often God is at work in our lives and in our circumstances, but we're not paying attention and we don't see it. 
And that's one thing that the loss of a child will do is it, it causes you to open your eyes and see things that maybe you hadn't seen before and uh, see where God is working um, that, that we might've missed before. Mm -hmm. Grief can certainly open our eyes to that. So, well, y'all, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me today and, and just visiting with me and sharing about Ryan and, um, I didn't realize that he never wore a belt. I think about that every time. Never did. Every time I put on a belt, I think, man, I could save a lot of money just by using a, a shoestring. Yeah, but he also he also had size twelve feet and wore basketball shoes for years, and they're long, yeah. long, long shoestrings. That's right. <laughs> we had family pictures done just six weeks before he was killed, which was a wonderful thing. But if you look below his shirt, there's a shoestring hanging out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll look for that next time I see those. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Those family pictures that they're talking about were taken in a tulip field, which yeah. is just the neatest thing for a, for a Dutch family to do. And uh, such a beautiful family. Good stuff. <laughs> Again, thank you all for coming on. I always enjoy an opportunity to visit with you guys and uh, look forward to seeing you sometime. Um, either we'll be out to Oregon or you guys come back to Arkansas and uh, we would love to see you all again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Yep. Love y'all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.